everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. You're very tired, co-host. <laughs> yes, we are recording later in the evening because that's when we could this week. Uh, but we needed to bring it to you, the fans, on this Anything Christmas for the fans, week. Yes. What was that? Any, anything for the fans. Anything for the fans. That's right. That's right. And for the fans, we will have an excellent episode for you. We will, of course, do our box office update. Uh, we will do a full breakdown on Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about our Christmas family plans and traditions and, you know, just have a general Christmas discussion, even though it may not directly be movie related. And we will, of course, delve into our watch list. All right, Rob, let's get it rolling. Box office. Uh, to the surprise of nobody, because it had absolutely zero competition, Avatar, The Way of Water, uh, comes in at number one overall at $134.1 million in its opening weekend. Uh, that was followed by Black Panther, uh, knocked off for the first time in a month at $5.3 million. Violent Night at $5.1 million. Uh, Strange World at $2.2 million. And The Menu at one6 these are actually also the only five movies that made at least a million dollars at the box office this weekend. Uh, so obviously the big deal is the number uh, for Avatar. It was a foregone conclusion. It would be number one. Um, but we'll see. Uh, what the number came out to was 134. Now that uh, both of us went way over on our estimates on this, but Rob at 175, me at 190, I think. Uh, so technically Rob wins because he was closer, but neither one of us were really that close. Um, it came in below projections. Projections were 150 to 175. It missed that. Um, not a terrible result um rob what do you make of the figure for avatar way of water so there was an article i think that we'll link in the uh, comments talking mm -hmm. about the box office um for this movie and the fa um, fact that a lot of the pre-sale for the movie was for the week beyond it opening i mm -hmm. think a lot of that has to do with the fact that christmas is this weekend yeah um so this might be a movie that actually has a very solid um, week one to week two with uh, not a huge drop off. Certainly not as big as most movies, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that is going to have to do with um, the fact that it's in premium formats. Um, I, I went and saw it Monday night, so my showing didn't count towards the box office. Yeah. I and I was in an IMAX. I was in an IMAX 3D showing and it was sold out. Mm -hmm. and that was Monday night. So. Um, I think it's going to continue to make money um, for several weeks. So I don't think it's the end of the world that it came in below the projections. I'm still a little surprised it came in below the projections. Um, but I think it's a movie that uh, will still make a lot of money. I mean, it's already made, if you count the uh, global box office along with it, it's already over $450 million at time of recording. Might be over $500 million at time of recording. 
I was 435 in the article we linked. Yeah. That was Sunday. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't think they have to worry too much about it getting its budget back. Yeah. Um, sure. Yeah. I think you're, you're mostly right on that. And that's, it is, it is an interesting release in that it doesn't come out the week of Christmas. It comes out the week before Christmas. Um, where I think the negative for this is there was basically absolutely nothing in the run up for several weeks. So not only did it have the box office basically all to itself this weekend, but they basically had no competition for the last couple of weeks. Uh, so there was a very long run up to this movie and then it had the weekend on all to itself um, and it still misses projection. So that's the negative. The plus side is, Lots of people like to go to movies on Christmas. Christmas is on a weekend this year. So you're going to get multiple days, including Monday is, is Christmas Monday. Uh, so you're going to have an extended long weekend for Christmas for people to hit the box office. Plus a significant amount of people will have off the week between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so not only does it have the long run up, it's going to have a long tail coming to it. Uh, so I guess the big question is, is what is it going to do this weekend? I think if you see a significant drop off this weekend, I think you can get the sense that this is not going to perform as well as they anticipated. If you don't, then I think you're well on the way to it, uh, it performing as, uh, the studio would have hoped, but remains to be seen. And we will uh, we will do a full breakdown on uh, the movie itself uh, in our discussion section. Uh, but anything else to say about the the box office or about Avatar's number? Uh, not really. Just good to see still um, Violent Night and the menu, especially mm-hmm. the menu, still uh, performing and making money. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, both those movies uh, did quite well, I think. Uh, especially for the menu was had a had a fairly limited uh, run in theaters in terms of like the amount of theaters it was in. So I think it's performed quite well given those uh, circumstances. Okay, uh, now we have two main movies opening Christmas weekend. Uh, that will be the twenty third this Friday. Um, the one you've probably seen the most trailers for is Babylon. This one has been heavily promoted. Uh, has kind of an all-star cast associated with it. And this is the tale of an outsized ambition and outrageous excess. It traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in Hollywood. Uh, the cast here is Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Gene Smart, Olivia Wilde, um, and J.C. Correas. Some of you know who he is. Um, so that's Babylon. And the next one is Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. And this one is the latest in, uh, several years running where we've had multiple biopics for, uh, music artists. And, uh, so this one is a joyous, emotional, and heartbreaking celebration of the life and music of Whitney Houston, one of the greatest female R&B pop vocalist of all time tracking her journey from obscurity to musical stardom and in this case we have naomi aki is playing whitney houston uh stanley tucci is also in this movie as is ashton sanders tamara tooney 
so Rob, you got a couple of interesting releases to go along with uh, the continued run of Avatar. Um, what do you make of them? Uh, so first of all, we got to, you know, address the, uh, the cat in the room because my mm -hmm. children will be very disappointed that you did not bring up Puss in Boots, which also comes out Christmas Day. Does it? It did not show up yeah. on the release calendar, so I must have missed that one. My bad. It does. <laughs> Antonio Banderas and Shambles. Um, yes, I know because my children want to go see it on Christmas yes. Day. Okay. Um, but uh, I Babylon looks very interesting, but it also looks... Uh, I mean, I like long dramas, but I'm not so sure I want to spend movies over three hours Yeah. Um, in a movie theater. Um, I might wait till it comes out and watch it in my <laughs> own um i not super interested in uh want to dance with somebody to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah if you are let's just put it this way if you're going to the theaters the likelihood you will be spending over three hours in the theater this weekend is pretty high given <laughs> what movies are out uh yes avatar has a three hour and ten minute running time babylon at a three hour and eight minute running time uh, we might have to revisit the discussion about proper length of movies because apparently nobody seems to care anymore. I mean, one of the uh, main reasons that I am tired, as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, is that I went, I made the very wise decision to go see Avatar on Monday evening, and the showing was at 8.30, and the movie is three hours and ten minutes long. Yep. So yep. I got home after midnight. So. Yes. So uh, to make up for my error earlier, this is the problem is like this movie comes out the 21st, which was like two mm. days ago. So okay. they're releasing everything all kinds of different days this week, which makes it hard to track. OK, but Puss in Boots, of course, is a uh, the second in the series. It's the last wish. Puss in Boots discovers that the passion for his adventures has taken its toll. He has burned through eight of his nine lives. Puss sets out to on an epic adventure to find the mystical last wish and restore his nine lives. And this has Antonio Banderas as Puss in Boots, Selma Hayek as Kitty Softballs, Harvey Guillen as Harrow, and Florence Pugh as Goldilocks. So there you go. Uh, kids movie running it at a nice crisp one hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, and uh, you you have to think that there'll be a delineation here where parents with younger kids will probably go see Puss in Boots, and parents with like teenage and older kids will probably go see Avatar. Mm -hmm. yep. Um, I mean, Puss in Boots won't make a ton of money, but I still think it'll make a decent amount of money because it'll be the Christmas movie that the parents with the young kids go see. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's kind of got that category kind of all to itself uh, for Christmas this year. Uh, along with that for me it's weird because I'm having a hard time getting a read on Babylon as to whether or not it seems intriguing to me uh, whether or not I'm going to like the style or the tone or the feel of it um, there are parts of it that I'm like oh that seems interesting and parts of it like eh, I don't know um it kind of reminds me, there have been several films done recently that kind of uh, speak to previous eras of Hollywood. Um, you have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, from Quentin Tarantino, and you had Hail Caesar from uh, the Coen brothers. 
And so those were both films that were basically about Hollywood of a different era. This seems to be another in that genre. However, um, I don't know a ton uh, about the the director in this case, which is, as I look it up here again, it's his name is uh, Damien Chazelle. And mm. he has, well, he's done La La Land. He wrote La La Land, Whiplash, and he was a producer on First Man. Uh, did the screenplay for 10 Cloverfield Lane. So he does, I mean, he's put out some pretty good movies. Uh, so I don't know. I just, I, I'm having a hard time getting a read. Usually I get a feel whether I like it or not. And I'm just having a hard time getting a read on Babylon. Yeah, and I think if it, you're looking at a three-hour drama, it's going to be hard to know. For And I think it's really hard to condense into like a, a trailer. Yeah. That, that uh, in, is intriguing. So and I wanted we'll get- to things yeah we'll get to this when we get into avatar a little bit but like better have a good reason why your movie has to be over three hours long i mean you know we're not talking about like an epic war adventure here i mean three hours seems a bit decadent for a movie where you don't understand immediately why it's being three hours maybe that's the whole point of the movie (laughs) maybe who knows (laughs) All right. Well, that's uh, that's what's coming out in the box office this weekend. You, of course, have Avatar still in there. Babylon, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, and Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Uh, so now let's move on to our discussion topic. And the first discussion topic this week will be our breakdown of Avatar, The Way of Water. So we both had the opportunity to see it this week. Both of us saw an IMAX 3D. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So we both saw an IMAX 3D. Uh, how we do our normal reviews is we will give you an initial spoiler-free breakdown where we'll just give you basics about what we thought. And then we'll get into our full breakdown where we analyze the movie itself. All right. So Rob, what are your initial thoughts about the movie without the spoilers? Um, I thought that it was really nice to look at, and it was really nice to look at. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we we uh, we may uh, discuss just how um, deep the story was, but um, it certainly was not um, a groundbreaking story writing stretch of the imagination. Um, there were certainly some cool effects going on uh we talked a lot about how they would use the water and i thought uh the water was used um, in some pretty fascinating ways um and it looked like it was well done like it didn't look cheap um i'm not surprised by that considering how much they spent on it and how long they took on it um three hours long but and and and, uh i think you probably argue it didn't need to be that long but i also don't feel like to me, I didn't feel like it dragged and dragged. Um, I thought like there was there was enough action going on. Um, it did seem like there was a lot of family drama kind of stuff. Um, the move, if this makes any sense, and, and we'll, we'll we can break this down a little bit more when we get into the fuller breakdown. But the movie felt in some parts very very big, and in some parts very very small. Mm. And uh, yeah. I'm interested in discussing that a little more, but I'm not, I'm not really sure how I felt about that. But that's kind of 
how I how I uh, took it. Yeah, yeah, I would say the movie wildly succeeded on some things, and and my opinion wildly failed in others. Uh, so if you're if you're breaking it down, you have very high levels on on one end, very low levels on another end, so that equates out to a a good a slightly above average good film um but not a great film um it is it is a visually immersive world if you were hoping to get um spectacular visuals and immersive world you definitely get that um if you were going to uh see the next great uh american novel portrayed on the screen you are not going to get that um but if you if you came away liking the first one, you will probably come away liking this one. Um, I will say, in my personal recommendation, if you are going to go see this movie, go see it in IMAX 3D. If you can't see it in IMAX, at least go see it in 3D. Um, the visuals are the entire thing you go to this movie for. So take full advantage of every way that in which you can get them to their max capacity. Uh, that's what, that would be what I would say about this one. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, when we get into the breakdown, I'll, I'll say more about this. I judge it. I, I do hold into account its context, meaning that uh, this was 15 years after the first one, and it took him a very, very long time to make these, and it's running time. So when I evaluate this film, I am taking in those two key elements of context as part of my evaluation. Um, but I think... If you want a cinema experience, this is a cinema experience. This is a movie designed to be seen in a theater on a big screen uh, that's pushing the bounds of technology in terms of what it can do visually. Um, if that's what you're going and expecting, you will definitely get that. And that is the calling card and highlight of the film. Okay. That is our initial thoughts on this. If you would do not want to hear any more spoilers, uh, now is your spoiler warning. Uh, we'll put in the notes how far you have to skip ahead in the podcast to get past this section. Uh, but we will now get into spoilers and our full breakdown of the movie. All right, Rob. Uh, as we look at this, um, how do you how do you want to start? Do you want to talk about what we like? Um, where do you want to start out this one? Sure. Yeah, we can do that. All right. Let's go with what we liked. Um, I I liked the fact that it um, expanded the universe of the world. Because one thing I was wondering was, how in the world are you going to make three more movies out of this? Yeah. Um, and I think in order to do that, you had to develop some intrigue and some some plot lines in the world itself that didn't revolve just around the humans are coming the humans are bad mm -hmm. and whether or not it was super successful at that it did do that and 
Um, I felt one thing it did succeed at was giving you um, another group of people who are closely related to the protagonist, but are different enough that um, it can, it can develop some storylines moving forward and did throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So that's what I liked about it. Obviously we mentioned the visuals already and that was something I really enjoyed. And like you said, I think they took full advantage of the 3d technology in this movie. And it's been a while since I saw um, a movie in IMAX 3d. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I, I would say it was an enjoyable experience. And uh, even some of the more closely shot scenes or more intimate scenes had some pretty nice um, 3D effects, uh, especially early on when they were in the forest. Um, I thought some of those scenes were just really beautifully uh, crafted. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought the expanse of the scenes in the water was pretty impressive also. I mean, there there were several things I liked about this movie. I'm glad I went and saw it. That being said, I would not go see it again. Yeah. Um, I part of that, a main thing to do with that is the runtime, honestly. But, <laughs> um, I I thought it was a, a a pleasant experience, and I'm glad that I went and saw it. And it um, certainly did not um, discourage me from going to see the ones that come out after this. Yeah, it's um, if, if we're going straight to things we liked, one thing I would say is um, it's it was always going to be interesting to see what they would what he would do and how it would look, given the fact that it was so much later. Um, think about uh, what you saw when um, in 1999, when The Phantom Menace came out you saw a very, very different visual world. Um, it was so much more CGI, so much more other things. It didn't it didn't have the same look and feel of the movies that came out in the 70s. And there's a degree to which you expect that and a degree to which um, it was a little over the top. And so you were wondering, would it feel like you were in a similar, in the similar world using the new technology and the new advances, but feeling like you're in the same way? And I do think he achieved that. And I think partly he achieved that by starting out in the forest and then branching out from that towards the water element uh, where he could use more full usage of um, the updated technology. And we talked in in our preview podcast about um, how difficult it is to do those type of scenes involving water. And I thought it was the best example I've seen in terms of um, computer graphics in relation to water, um, characters being wet, uh, hair, all that sort of stuff. Like the technical aspects of it uh, seem very, very well done, um, very natural, very smooth. Um, it really did take you and immerse you into the world. That's the word I keep coming back to is a very immersive experience. Um, he made sure that you got a full tour of the world, of the ocean, of the villages. Um, he really, really did. And and that was that was his crowning achievement is to show you an expansive visual world. Um, and in that, I think he very much succeeded. Um, 
that was always the thing about the first movie is everyone went because of the visuals. And so he set a high bar for himself with the visuals. And I think uh, if you went in looking for that type of experience, you got it. And so I don't think there was any issue in terms of him being able to deliver on the visual aspect of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you liked in particular? Mm. I mean, I thought the acting was pretty good overall. Mm. Um, certainly could have been worse. <laughs> um, True. Um, I do think they did a good job of displaying uh, family dynamics throughout the story, especially being an older brother. Um, I, I could really relate to some of the older brother, younger brother scenes throughout the movie because they seemed very familiar to me <laughs> um, making fun of each other, pushing each other, um, helping each other, all those things. Um, so that, that was one thing I was, I was wondering going into it was mm-hmm. uh, where are they going to be with this? Like they have a family now, like what's the family look like? And um, turned out that was like a main, one of the main parts of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. I think they did a decent job of those family dynamics. Um, being portrayed okay let's uh let's get into critiques um things that uh that you weren't as thrilled with i'll let you start with this one okay um so for me it begins and ends with the fact that in three hours and ten minutes i think the story was virtually non-existent. Um, The amount of time and energy of those three hours and 10 minutes dedicated to actually advancing a legitimate plot was very, very small. Um, And I will break it down into kind of two ways. There's, there's one way to do it and say that this is a story driven movie. Um, It is, you you see a, a story progress from one thing to another. Um, there's advances. There's there's narration. There's plot. Uh, there's very very little plot in this movie. Basically, the the humans are bad. The Navi are good. The humans want to kill Jake Sully. In particular, this one group wants to kill Jake Sully, and he goes and runs and hides. So that's the whole plot of the movie. Like there's not any any more plot than that is that the humans are back, the humans are bad, and they want to kill Jake Sully, and he goes and hides. Now there's another way to tell a story. If you're not going to do a story that advances a a plot forward, you can do a character driven story, in which you explore characters and you delve into um, character dynamics. Um, it seemed like he was leaning more in that direction. We talked, you talked a little bit about the family dynamic in this. However, I feel like he uh, really failed in that front. And I would say that from the standpoint of it was not well thought out. There was a couple of characters that had interesting arcs. The younger brother had an interesting, had an interesting arc and they made some interesting characters about him. He was the, person i think who had the most development of any character in the entire film 
Um, so if they had more characters along those lines, I think that would be helpful. They didn't. Um, they gave some some minorly interesting stuff to the adopted daughter. Um, and they had some interesting things along her lines, but they barely explored them at all. And this is one of the things where I, I come at it and it's like, you had three hours and 10 minutes and you had plenty of time if you wanted to increase those dynamics and they just did. And I didn't feel like any of the main characters had any sort of major arc. I mean, they tried to give like a, they kind of shoehorned an arc for Sully in there where he's like, oh, I shouldn't have run, but they kind of threw that in at the end. I, you could tell that's what they were kind of setting up, but they really didn't. I didn't feel like they landed on that at all. Um, I'll, I'll stop there and let you comment. Yeah, the word that I comes to mind when you um, talk through that is scattered. Yeah. That's, I felt like there was a lot of different threads being put out that didn't necessarily come back together to tie the story together. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that, and and we we talked about this briefly um, before we recorded. Uh, it's worth bringing up that I I think that one thing that made it difficult to necessarily connect with everything is he threw you into the story in a way that was basically like you just watched the first one, so yeah. you know who all these people are, and. I think for a lot of people going to see this movie, that's not going to be the case yeah. because it's not going to be coming off of just seeing the first one. And because of that, I think some of what he was hoping to be emotional impact throughout the movie doesn't have as much resonance Yeah, because you just don't care as much about the characters as maybe you would have if it said come out like two years after yeah. the original movie. And along with it, he really, I felt like he really, really, really rushed the opening of this movie uh, to basically fast forward you 15 years into the future. Uh, he did that in like five minutes. <laughs> no, it was probably like 10, 10 or 15, but like it was really, really fast. It felt like it went boom, 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 boom. Now let's get on with our story. Um, so I don't, I think that that felt initially it felt jarring. I think is one way to put it. It felt like you're just getting reacquainted with this world and he's warp speeding you through everything you've missed and, and bringing you on to the next thing. And so it just felt it. Yeah. It felt, uh, it had, I like the word scattered. I think that's good. I mean, we've talked about this before when it is particularly when it comes to science fiction, mm-hmm. um, how much do you give the audience? Yeah because you don't want to give them everything, make them feel like they're dumb. Right. Also don't want to give them too little so they can't understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. I think if we were looking at this in, in the, like a pendulum, I think it swung a little bit too far towards the not giving them enough yeah. uh, aspects at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think like, and this is where I keep coming back to the movie is three hours and 10 minutes. You had plenty of time if you wanted to, to develop some of these threads that you threw out there. And he just didn't. 
and so with how long it took him to make these movies and how long the runtime was, I don't feel like there's a lot of excuse for not doing that. Um, to give an example, um, they quickly throw out a thread about um, the one, their adopted daughters. I'm, I, I'm blanking on the names of these characters, um, but their adopted daughter. Uh, basically, they're like, oh, yeah, she became pregnant from her mother's. She birthed from her mother's avatar. We don't know how. Moving on. <laughs> like, like, what? Like, what? And and the only time they explore this is is like in a scene where they're joking around about who her father was. Yeah. And, and it's just like, like you just threw something in there, like a random avatar gets pregnant. And nope, don't worry about it. Just ignore that. Um, and then she, you know, and then at one point, like you can tell she's different and she's she's a little bit outcast. She has this unique connection with nature and she's always kind of wondering what that is and where it's coming and why she's different and then all of a sudden she's just manipulating nature mm -hmm. how does she know how to do that where did that come from uh not explored not bothered with yeah one thing that um i was a little frustrated with story-wise was like the sudden appearance of the the whale the like the whaling crew like because when they first appeared you're like i don't know who these people are yeah <laughs> <laughs> and to make well, it even more confusing jermaine clement is speaking in an american accent which i don't think i've ever heard him do and i was very confused because well, i was like that looks a lot like jermaine clement but that does not sound like him <laughs> well and and that speaks to a larger a larger issue with the storyline is very briefly in the beginning, they're like, oh, the humans are back. And then you get like, like one sentence of dialogue saying, hey, we're back and we're mining and we're doing everything really fast this time. We got to subdue the population. And like, that's all you're given. Like, like you don't get any sort of sense as to, you know, the, they're where they are, what they're doing, why they're back, you know, how, how this is, is transpiring in the world at large. Um, you're just kind of like, hey, they're here. Okay, moving on. And so the fact that a random, essentially whaling ship, as it were, shows up is kind of par for the course on how everything, how everything was done in this movie in terms of the plots. Yeah, it's, in some ways, it felt like some of the, some aspects of the plot were just not explained in the right order. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just his vision or editing or what but i feel like i do feel like if this movie was a little bit shorter and some of the sequences were in a, a, a different order it might have been a slightly better movie but i think you can say that about a lot of movies so yeah uh, or even why like even why they send like they don't I mean, you can kind of imply why this one random group of people who apparently died and it's just their avatars remaining, um, why they're on like a very long vengeful mission, you know, to track down one particular individual. Um, they kind of give you as an idea of what's going on and why that is, or 
you know, like why they're just allowed to run around for a very long time on a, you know, a revenge mission. But, you know, they don't really get into it that much. It's just supposed to just accept it and be done with it. I don't know. Um, I thought too, like, like several of the characters were just very underdeveloped. I'll, I'll give an example. I think the older brother was, was basically like, I mean, he had basically no personality. Uh, they didn't spend any time on his arc whatsoever, other than the fact that he was, you know, stereotypical older brother. And, and so the problem with that is, is then later when he dies, you don't really feel an emotional connection to this guy. The only emotional connection you have is to the other characters and how that death affects them. You're not actually moved by the death of the older brother. And so in some ways, it's almost like they killed the wrong character because they didn't spend any time having you develop any emotional connection to this guy. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Yep. Yeah, because I know that I didn't feel much of a reaction to that. Yeah. Yeah, like the closest thing you can get to is is the older is the reaction of the younger brother. Like the only thing they set up the whole time was the younger brother keeps getting the older brother in trouble. The younger brother keeps getting the older brother in trouble. But how the older brother dies is in trying to, you know, save their is when the younger brother says, Hey, let's save you know, the human who's kind of their unofficial son, like mm-hmm. that's already a worthy cause. Like that's not, that's, that's not him getting him into trouble. Like he, like that would be a place where if you're trying to really develop an emotional arc, the younger brother goes off half cocked, does something stupid, gets his older brother killed. And now that's the turning point for that character. Like that's an emotional arc you can get behind, but they didn't, they didn't go that direction. Um, and that leads me to one of my other pet peeves on this one is that, that the whole idea of, of the uh, there's, there's this human character who has been left there um, who basically runs around with the Sully family Um and the whole aspect of the film is centered around like, you know, his whole line about Sully stick together. And then this guy, like they just leave him <laughs> yeah. and they run off without, without this guy who's like tangentially a member of their family. And, you know, they just leave him for however long. Then later they decide, Oh no, he is a member of our family. He is valuable. Now we need to go get him. Then the mother like basically attempts to kill him, you know, later in the movie and then he shows up back on the shore with them at the end like nothing happened and they don't even address the fact that the mother just tried to like basically sacrifice him like what is that i did i kind of thought they were gonna go away where because he um felt like they turned their back on him he was gonna go side with his dad yeah i felt that i kind of felt like that would have been a little cheap because like his dad was trying to kill him for the whole other part of the movie so why it switching around completely change how he feels about people he has been um, living with for like 
13 years. Yeah. Um, but they didn't end up doing that. So I'm wondering if like that was just planting a seed for them to do something like that in the future. Like I, I don't, what, what you said about not developing the characters enough to have emotions. Like I, I don't have a super strong emotional connection to any character in this movie. Like, to the point where I'm desperate to know what's going to happen to them in the next one. Yeah, exactly. Like, I yep. I will go watch it and I'll probably enjoy it, but I'm not like, I really, it's, I don't care a whole lot <laughs> yeah. about what I'm um, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, and that's the number one failing. And that's where I say, like, if you're not going to do a plot, like a, like a super interesting plot and you're going to go the character route, then you better develop a, some serious emotional attachment to the characters and really want to care about their development. And he doesn't do either. Like he doesn't achieve. Either. I mean, I, I like I would contrast this with um, the new Star Wars trilogy, which you could argue is if it's good or bad. I, it's probably not great. But the one thing that they did achieve, J.J. Abrams and Ryan uh, Johnson, I felt like they achieved was they actually did make you care about several of the characters. I think people cared about Finn. I think people cared about Poe Dameron. I think people cared about Ray. Whether they ended up liking where those characters went is another story. Mm -hmm. But I do think there was actual reason to care about each of those characters. Yeah. And I don't feel that same kind of pull in this series right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's right. Like there's always the out of saying, well, he's just throwing stuff out there to develop in later films. Maybe, but you don't like uh, the one, one example of a very clear thread that they are obviously developing for a later film. The, the, the human kid saves his father's avatar from death. And that avatar goes off and is still alive at the end of the film that's a clearly illustrated thread that this guy is coming back and you're going to see this guy again like that's that's a, a something where it's very obvious that they're setting something up for the next films basically we're trying to fill in the gaps of saying he didn't do this is that maybe for next film maybe i don't know um so i don't think I think it was hard to tell like what was setting up for later films. Um, and secondly, like, I think if you look at it from the perspective, it really seems like in this James Cameron cared very, very, very deeply about giving you an experience and not so much about giving you a story. And so it feels a lot more like a nature documentary. Uh-huh. <laughs> than it does anything else um you get some characters you know like like hey here's the penguins here's what they're doing yeah yeah yeah. um it feels a lot more like a nature documentary than it does like an actual film so i mean nature documentaries are interesting so i and i will say that like if we go back to one thing i did like i say even though it was three hours and ten minutes and i didn't think much of the story i didn't feel like i was bored mm -hmm. you know i agree with you there it didn't feel like i was bored i wasn't sitting there like oh, when is this movie gonna be over and that's a testament to how good the immersive experience is um 
but I just think like if you are evaluating it as a holistic movie, the failings on the story side are are substantial. Um, and it really does bring down the amazing accomplishments that he achieved on the visual and and um, experience side of it. Not to the point of making it a bad film. It just keeps it from being a really good film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you see going forward? Um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot more of the dynamics between... Um, the forest navi and the water navi and i wonder if there will be i kind of almost think there's got to be an another one or two different factions that we're gonna meet in the next couple movies Mm -hmm. um because i think i do think by necessity the storyline is going to have to shift a little bit towards that because it can't just be them against the humans for every single movie yeah um and I do think there were some, like you said, um, planting seeds. I do think there were certainly some seeds of tension between Jake and the leader of the water um, tribe set up that could um, be expounded on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether that's whether they have done that enough justice to make that legal, I don't know. But I think that I do think that he tried to set that up Yeah, um, a little bit. Um, throughout this movie so that's what i kind of i envision there being more inter um tribal i guess you want to say um storylines coming through in the next couple movies here yeah yeah okay well uh we will uh wrap that up as our avatar way of water review and uh, let's let's move on to uh, we'll just spend a couple minutes with this being Christmas week. Uh, just want to talk a little bit about Christmas plans. Like what are what are some family traditions you had at Christmas growing up and and what are some things we do now? Uh, doesn't have to be movie related, just something for Christmas. Um, so when I was a kid growing up, we always had coffee cake for Jesus on Christmas morning. Ah, interesting. So we were not allowed to even look at the tree. Mm. Until- off cake for jesus and my dad wrote the christmas story okay you know um our our present opening was pretty orderly we went in turns and i've since found out that's not how it goes everywhere (laughs) (laughs) i've i've been in places where it's a free-for-all i've been in places where someone gets their whole stack of presents and they open up their whole stack of presents Hmm. Um, but we would always do one one present at a time and uh youngest to oldest and then just keep going around in the circle um throw one mom and dad's way every once in a while mm-hmm. we felt like it. <laughs> um and something that that uh i've done now several years is uh going with my wife and kids to a movie on christmas day as you mentioned uh, lots of people do that and we are some of those lots of people and we will probably end up going to see Puss in Boots because mm-hmm. I don't think my kids are going to want to sit through a three-hour movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think, I, perhaps a better way to rephrase that is I don't think I want to sit with my kids through a three-hour movie. <laughs> so. That sounds very fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um. um also, yeah. this year, I mean, this is not Christmas Day, but this is 
tangential mm-hmm. to the Christmas and Knives Out Glass Onion premieres on Netflix tomorrow. Ah, that's right. And I will be I will be watching that as part of my Christmas weekend festivities. Yes, yes, absolutely. That is a big release. Uh, so if you did not catch it, it's one week in theaters. You definitely want to do that. Um, for me, I think growing up, the, the couple things uh, for a number of years, for a long time, we did my dad's family on Christmas Eve. Um, then first thing in the morning, you know, we did our thing as a as a family. And then we did my mom's side on um, later on the day on Christmas Day. And so like just that compact like day and a half right there. Um, uh, that was a tradition I ended up really, really enjoying. And um, especially growing up, like, you know, constantly being around the family and, and having that rhythm is something I, re- I remember enjoying quite a bit. Um, we would, uh, my brother and I would often uh, sleep in the same room. Uh, we had separate rooms, you know, once we got old enough, but we'd sleep in the same room for Christmas night and uh, the, uh, the night before Christmas, Christmas Eve. And then talk about what we think we were getting <laughs> the next day. Uh, sometimes <laughs> we were able to guess it. Sometimes we weren't. Uh, but just the excitement of it. Um, and then trying to decide how long uh, we had to wait before we could yell that it's Christmas and go open our gifts. Um, and there was a few occasions where my parents uh-huh. said, no, go back to bed. It's not time yet. Uh, but they were pretty good about letting us get uh-huh. up pretty early. Uh, so that's stuff I remember uh, from being a kid. And now it's like for a number of years, my dad was doing a Christmas day breakfast when we got older as adults and he'd cook up like ridiculous amounts of bacon and pancakes. And we'd eat this uh, awesome pancake breakfast and, and, and do our gifts as, as a family. And so now we're trying to decide, like now I have, this is my first Christmas with my daughter who's 11 months old. Uh, we'll be 11 months on Christmas day. And, uh, so what we're just trying to trying to think through what kind of Christmas traditions we want to we want to instill in her as uh, she grows up. Obviously, she's not going to remember this one, but uh, it it does get me thinking about what we want to do, and 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 what how we want to make that experience. Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely changes a whole lot. It does. <laughs> I I like your movie on Christmas thing. I I like that. I, you know, once uh yes. Yeah. She gets the movie age maybe i'll have to adopt that one myself <laughs> yeah yeah and the nice thing for us is like we've typically let them decide what they want to go see um and i think as they get older like we can see that tradition and maybe they'll want to go see a movie like avatar someday in the future yeah yeah all right. Well, that's just a little bit of Christmas tradition. Uh, now we'll close out with our watch list movies that we've watched over this past week. So, Rob, aside from Avatar, what'd you watch? I almost watched a movie called Connect today, and I will tell you why hmm. I watched it. So, I bought a ticket to the movie, and I was in the movie theater sitting in my seat, and I saw about 10 minutes of the movie before my wife sent me a text asking to call. The, uh, a doctor because they had a potential opening for my son who we've been trying to get to see a specialist for something mm-hmm. and uh, I called and was on hold with Wellspan for half an hour um, so at that point um, going back into continue watching the movie was 
seemingly fruitless to me. Uh, <laughs> it was a it was a movie as an Indian movie, so it was um, dubbed. So I felt like I was gonna be completely lost at that point. And I really liked the first ten minutes of it. It's called Connect, um, and it just came out the other week um, about uh, a family who loses uh, the father of the family um, as part of COVID because he's a doctor in a hospital in Mumbai. Um, and uh, contracts the disease and passes away. And the from there, it's about the daughter trying to reconnect with him through uh, like an exorcism um, seance kind of type situation. Um, so it looked like it was going to be pretty fascinating. Um, started to just about kick off uh, when I had to leave. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'm not super thrilled. I spent $15 to watch 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. But uh, you know, I guess that's going to happen sometimes because family is uh, the priority when it comes to those kinds of situations. Um, I also watched, um, I, I don't know if I would classify it as a movie or a TV show, but on Disney Plus, there is a version of the Nutcracker that just came out called the Hip Hop Nutcracker. Hmm. Uh, it has uh, Rev Run from Run DMC is the narrator, the hmm. rap narrator, I guess you could call <laughs> it. Um, and my kids rather enjoyed it and i thought it was pretty uh cool to see some other cultural things um so that was enjoyable to watch if you have kids who like music if you're into hip-hop at all um the hip-hop nutcracker was was a good watch and that's on disney plus and then obviously as i mentioned before i'm very excited to watch glass onion again tomorrow because i really enjoyed watching it in the theater and i'm looking forward to seeing it again nice very nice um this was the week where i watched home alone so my annual watching of Home Alone. And this year it just made me like, oh man, I should have found a way to get tickets to go see them, see the Philadelphia Symphony perform that soundtrack live. Mm. Uh, but it's it's a classic. I love it. It's it's not the type of movie they make anymore. And it just it hits all the right notes. Um, I've said this before, like Kevin was exactly the same age I was at that when that movie came out. So I feel like I resonate with that. In, in ways that uh, that maybe not everybody does. Um, but it's just, it's my favorite and uh, it still remains a classic to this day. Uh, the second thing I did, and I have to credit Chris McQuarrie, who was, uh, who's been the director of the last number of Mission Impossible films and, you know, a film legend in his own right. I follow him on Twitter and he was in an inner in exchange about someone when he talked about the fact that Mission Impossible Fallout has a special feature where it's a score isolated version of the movie. Hmm. And basically you watch the movie and you see the visuals, but the only thing you hear is the score. No dialogue, no action sounds, nothing. You see the, you see the film and you have the score. And I'm like, Ooh, this sounds like a fascinating study in the power of the score and getting a deeper look at what a score does to a movie. So I, I started watching. I got like half hour, 40 minutes in. I haven't finished it yet, but it's really fascinating because um, it really gives you an idea of how much is driven by the score and the degree, the tightness to which the score is cued to the movie. Like huh. a door slams shut and there's a specific loud thump in the, in the background of the score. Like you, you, you feel the score is, is being laid out that precisely a car 
hits the gas and you feel that with the direction of the movie going right alongside it. Um, that is pretty amazing. Uh, the degree to which that happens. Also, there's periods where it's just silent. And, and so when you're not hearing any dialogue or anything, it really is apparent, like it's silent. So it's really trying to draw you into the visuals. It really does make a fascinating experience. It's, I don't know if it's going to be for everybody to sit there and watch a movie where you're not hearing anybody say anything and just listening to the score, but it's fascinating to watch, especially if you're going to want to want to kind of do something in the background. Uh, so mission impossible fallout in the special features has that option. Nice. All right. Well, that is the show, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you for tuning in to Film for Fans and wishing every single one of you a Merry Christmas. And make sure you watch Die Hard and Home Alone before uh, New Year's. Uh, that's my charge to you. Uh, but check out filmforfans.com. Like, subscribe, tell your friends. And until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>